one score and five episodes ago, a great man had a vision for a great podcast. But then that man turned out to not be so great, and the podcast turned out to be Strange Assembly instead. So that's what you're listening to the 25th episode of today. I'm Chris Stevenson. With me here are Jay Earl. Hello. Kevin Kennedy. Howdy. And Justin Purdy. Be excellent to each other. And party on, dude. Isn't that a farewell? Well, two seated the. Yeah. I don't really care. Okay. <laughs> this time is somebody else in the strange sideway. Okay. Today, we'll be talking about the Cote season, including some in depth analysis, of course, including the ever popular breeder, which, Yay. as our listeners may know, I decided to go online last weekend and pronounce that it should be nerfed, that something should be errated or banned to get this Fields of the Dead deck off the top tables for once this arc. We'll also be talking about the contents of the newest Imperial Herald, which is sort of the whatever we think about segment, because that includes <laughs> things about Before the Dawn and Gen Con and War of Honor and new promos. Anyways. Possibly Ted Turner. Yeah, see, that's one of the problems, Kevin, is that the audience hasn't actually heard the segment yet, so <laughs> you can't a, really refer back to right. something that the audience hasn't heard it's yet. It's called a teaser, dude. You have to refer I back don't think to anybody is getting. Like I don't the think the anybody Turner. wants to get teased about the fact that you're going to make a bad Star Wars reference. <laughs> that does not induce anyone to continue listening to the episode. <laughs> Star Wars fans. No! No, not Star Wars fans. That would be a <laughs> but, reference to a good Star Wars but movie. But they don't know that it's a... Oh, the movie. Okay. Yes. <laughs> I thought you were going to say bad reference. We also have two cards to preview from the upcoming Before the Dawn set, Reckless Rush, and you know, something about defending their homes. Yeah, 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 that's actually what it's called. Okay. Defending their home. There you go. Plus, over and under, a review of Thunderstone, Doomgate Legion, and... If you're all very, very nice, a review of the just-released Emerald Empire supplement for the Legend of the Five Rings 4th Edition role-playing game. You've got everything. Now I kind of want you to not do that review and just say, you guys weren't nice enough, sorry. <laughs> yes. Well, we'll see if they deserve it when we get there. But first, Kote. Well, as we record this, it is Sunday, May 1st, which means that, unlike our usual recordings, we actually have all of the results for this weekend's Kote, and hopefully, by the time I'm done editing this and it goes up, that'll still be the results of all of the Kote that have happened so far. <laughs> but let's just do my ever-popular, okay, not popular, boring routine, alphabetical order thing. Start with Crab. Crab have won four Cote. They have made it into the cut about 19% of the time, which is the second best make the cut rate and tied for the third best number of wins in Cote. I guess I've seen two primary strains of Crab. You've got Berserkers. You've got generic, mostly heroes with items. I know there's been like one dueling deck out there, but I've only seen that the once. Have you guys seen any other high-performing... Oh, there was, well, there finally was a Crab Scout that made the cut, but 
Oh, wow. Primary themes seem to be heroes with items and berserkers. Obviously all out of Shattered Pig's Castle. Do they have another stronghold? No. I didn't think so. It's just those two decks, and they're both good, and who on backing things up? Yeah. Can't complain. Yeah. yeah, so we've got some deck lists for those up on strangeassembly.com if you want to check them out. I think maybe the reverse question is, if you are a player and you're in an area where you're expecting there to be a lot of crab, or you know that a good, you know there are at least a few good crab players who are going to be competing to make the cut, what do you put into your deck to meta against crab? Who on meta? Something, <laughs> something that helps you deal with Kulon. That's, that's basically your meta for crab. Anything that works against Kulon, works against crab. Well, it's just kind of hard to meta against here's all my clan's good huge guy. Yeah, and often meta against a, against a small number of good guys would be control things like Open Bow, which right. Shattered Peak's Castle deals with. Uh, deals unfamiliar with ground well. kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, you can run Unfamiliar. Um, uh, low Stance is a good option. Game of Sincerity. I run Rapid Thunder because I'm playing Phoenix. You, you can run that region that hands out Plague Tokens because they have really low chi. Again, the Berserker <laughs> deck does, yes. Mouth of the Plague. I'm sure that they hate. Uh, Tawa Pasuda. Yes. Yeah. Yes, Pasuda does kill crab. Well, well, Berserkers. Remember, the heroes actually have, actually have decent, decent chi. So, that, the, the, the chi death semi-serious suggestions aren't really helpful there anyway. And of course, another weakness to that sort of thing is there's a lot of stuff that messes you up going around attachments, but I've seen Crab decks, like many decks, really like Saimakatsu and even playing good old farmlands because it's so important yeah. to get attachments on your guys. So there is still a lot of bow out there that can get around stuff, and maybe part of the thing is just not fret too much about the fact that there are going to be things that they're going to negate, that they are going to be able to get around some right. of the bow. They are going to be able to... Don't you psych know, yourself out. If you control them... They can't unbow now. Yeah. I, I always want control to be good, and every time I run it, I end up regretting it. Hmm. And of course, you can just, just be faster than the crowd. Yes. Yeah. That is that's that's, mostly that's, that's what I go part for. Of, yes. Be faster. Be faster. Uh, I think that's a lot of it. Then we have Crane. Crane has won seven Kote, which is the second most. But they're actually in the middle of the pack, only slightly better than average at getting people into the cut. You are going to see a lot of Crane. They're the most populous clan at this Kote season. Uh, I don't think that that's going to change. You are primarily worrying about Embassy, mostly Embassy Honor, but also Embassy Dishonor. And I, I think for that, a lot of what you've got is just your standard Honor and Dishonor meta. Yeah, there, yeah. there was an Embassy Honor and an Embassy Dishonor player in the top four of the Florida. And I don't know how that game got resolved, because the first time I saw those two guys are, play Aren't they still Swiss, playing? No. The first time I saw that they, they played during Swiss, it was the time, and they got into kind of a bitter argument. And then the, the second time they oh, played boy. during top four, like, there was a pause. Something spectacular happened, so I have no idea. Somebody got a really bad fight. start. Somebody got a really good start. Game ended right away. It yeah. can happen. Can't happen. But the other thing is that that does 
include boxable guys, including the yeah. all important, super obnoxious, take the favor, use it when, uh, yeah, so luckily she can be burned. She can be burned if you want Claude. to play that. When, no, she doesn't show she the battles. Show oh, yeah. So you can't call her. Yeah, but she is a, a key bit to get. So if, as we talk about later, you feel like running burn, because I know some people suggested burn against breeder. I think you probably like it better against Crane, because yeah. with the breeder, you're paying more than the... Uh, a lot of your breeder meta will work against Crane, the, the, the two breeder event metas. Yeah, well, her trait still is active, but at least they won't get the free favor. Right, but it also bows out their different videos. Yeah, um, but you should definitely, I think, still you definitely still include honor meta of some sort in your decks. A big one, of course, being shameful and cowardly. That mm-hmm. is one of those matchups where yeah. Shameful and Cowardly is good. pretty hot this season. And the follow-up tech to your Shameful and Cowardly is in your Game of Sincerity is Relentless Conviction. Yeah. Dragon. Dragon has won no Kote. I, I thought they disbanded that clan a few months ago. Weren't they taken over by the Vegeta? Yeah. Yes. Durgan. 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 Yeah. Durgan. The, the Durgan, I thought that they became the official Imperial family, so they weren't legal in the card game anymore, because you never get to play the Imperial families. Yeah. But, uh, Dragon is not in a happy spot right now. They're one of the clans that is kind of stuck in the bottom at the ability to make the cut. They haven't won any. I think that there's some some real stratification that has unfortunately developed in the, the dead of winter environment after the really nice balance that we had through Plague War and Empire at War, mm-hmm. where you've got you know, Crab and Lion and Spider at the top, really clearly able to make the cut at a very high rate. Crane and Mantis kind of in the middle with the ability to make the cut, but Crane has so far still been really good at winning. And then you've got, at the bottom, you have Unicorn and Phoenix and Dragon, who are not winning and not making a cut. And Scorpion's also not making the cut that well, although I don't, I think that they're clearly a stronger clan than, than the other ones. But Dragon is near the bottom in, in both of those measures. Which is kind of unfortunate. Dragon has, I think, at least three decks that are capable of making the cut oh, yeah. when a good player is playing them. Sure. Last Step Castle which is unfortunately basically a bad Embassy Honor <laughs> deck at this point. It, I mean, you can play Last Step Castle and still almost play exactly the same deck that you were playing back at yeah, that last year's Gen Con. It, it just hasn't gotten anything new, and which on the one hand is a sign of how strong it was back then, but you're just... You know, all the jokes that people have made about Lion, for example, always... They aren't actually still just playing exactly the same guys that they were playing when they were really great right. last year. Just 95%. They, they've incorporated Satoru and Raymond because they're both awesome. Yeah, Kusumoto. Yeah, they, they have gotten new cards. And then Kensei has actually made more cuts I, that I know of than Monks. I think both of those decks are capable of making the cut yeah. when piloted by a, a solid player, but they're more I, difficult to play than less. They're also too inconsistent. I don't. It seems like you'd have a very hard time winning a Kote. I mean, Kensai, you're relying on 
Fate and Dynasty decks really coming together just right. I I don't think Lost Up Castle is as strong as it used to be. It's not. It's no, not. No. And I think that a lot of Dragon players are still playing it, because that's what they're used to playing. I think a lot of Dragon players are still playing Last Up Castle because that's probably the Dragon deck that gives you the best chance of making the cut. It's, it, but I, what I'm saying, saying is that I'm seeing a lot of player, Dragon players who are playing Last Step. Primarily. Yeah. I, I personally think that Step Monks and Kenshin will give you a better shot I'm no so. I think Last Step may give you a better shot, probably gives you a better shot of getting into the cut. I don't know how good a shot that you have of getting out of the cut because you have a bad match against Crane. Yeah. Yep. You have a best decent match against Lion. I mean, one of the things that, that has kept Lion from winning a lot of Kote is that it really, really, really does not like playing against Embassy Honor, where it has to go second. They don't have to go second against Last Step, and, and Lion has always been a rough match for Last Step. And then the other... And then you've got Breeder, which Last Step also generally does not have a good matchup against. And Last Step tends to run a lot of boxables, which will get Jacked up by the meta that people are running for against. That's the, about the definition and, of getting doomed by the field. If you hate all the top tier decks yeah. and it, yeah. the meta hits you too. This is why I prefer you can, yeah, you can get into the cut, but I don't. I don't know if you get out with any of those. I guess one random thing I would note about can't say and this is totally random. Seriously, a thousand cuts is not really that good. I don't know. if Dragon players, you should be forcing it into your deck. If you include it in your deck, it's going to be about the, the weakest card in there because it's so situational. So at least consider playing around with some other things. Lion, I've only won three Kote, despite putting people into the cut, lickety split, and despite clearly being one of the best decks in the format. I think after spending some time looking over the Lion deck list more, I think maybe in prior episodes we've given short shrift to the variety of lion decks out there. I mean, there's a very distinct Great Halls hero weapon sort of build that has made the cut a number of times. There are different, you know, weapon cavalry central castle decks and then just more generic central castle decks. So, I mean, it seems like lion have a several different strains of... Yeah. It really just speaks good. volumes about how good their people are. That there's so many different variations and different strongholds and what kind of attachments you want to run or what attachments you don't want to run. And it ends up with half a dozen or so decks that are pretty capable of winning a Kote. Yeah, and of course, Lion, if you're not playing L5R players, if you don't have three Claw and Shell in your deck yet, you probably should. That is correct. It's really good against Breeder. It's very good against Lion. You, know, you had to pick out the two decks that you need to be able to beat. That's probably it. It should probably be in your deck. And it still does something against everyone else in the field who attacks you. So, other than obvious Claw and Shell or Crossing the Forbidden Sea, is there anything I else to do against Lion? I run a lot of ancient attacks in my deck. But that's that's me and playing Phoenix. And I owe at least one win in New York against the Lion player because I had just so many range attacks. But... Uh, oh, you sound like Charm. 
What else works against blind? Play Embassy. <laughs> That's true. But if you were a crane player, uh, you were doing that anyway. They, yes. hate, they hate crossing the Forbidden Sea. They hate that card so much. As they should. And they're not playing with event meta. They can't, they can't afford to play event meta just for crossing the Forbidden Sea, and which is really the only event they care about. I don't think Lion is phenomenal against Breeder either. So if you can run, if you, oh, can, no. if you can afford to run crossing the Forbidden Sea, you probably should. Yes, also for Crane and Breeder. Yes. <laughs> Next up is Mantis. Mantis is stuck at two Kote wins. They are in the middle of the pack, fourth, and the ability of putting people into the cut. They do still have their usual low attendance numbers. Uh, Dragon has actually climbed back up above Unicorn and Mantis by like two and four people. As far as the quantity is usually players, way up there too. Dragon is usually one of the top few, and yeah. Man- Mantis and Unicorn are perennial low attendance numbers when they don't have a broken deck. So I mean, if you yeah. go and look at the Kote season, like where Chagata is legal or Kowal <laughs> is legal, unsurprisingly, or Mantis, you know, Unicorn has tremendous numbers. If you look at the end of Lotus when Mantis. Sneak attack, range ten, range ten, range seven. Yeah, well, I, I, they're just gesturing. You can't. The audience can't see this. I uh, talk a lot with my hands, so uh, apparently Kevin is taking issue with that. But no, back at the end of Lotus, when Test of Enlightenment came out, a set that was, I think, playtested over a weekend. Mantis was literally doing things like naval range 12, range 12, range 10. It was really stupid. But And so, at the time, that was sort of you were playing Shiro Katsuki, you were probably playing Shiro Katsuki, or you were playing Mantis, or you were in a world of trouble. And that was actually one of the reasons that Shiro Katsuki, in addition to just being exceptionally good generically, it got around naval because you'd start the battle with no guys in, and then your guy would poof in, and you'd get to take an additional action. Magic. Anyways, we were talking about Mantis right now. <laughs> eh. Some of them were playing Navy Blitz. That hasn't yeah. taken I've anything been seeing, yet. Uh, I've been seeing a lot of Mantis Blitz decks taken properly. At least maybe two tournaments that I've been to since the last time we talked. Yeah, any particular comments about what had been in their AV Blitz deck? Well, one deck for the Dragon Guard City deck, and what he would do is he'd buy that first turn, attach a follower to them, second turn, and try to fix the problem. He was playing one notable card in that deck, which was just playing Alina Singh. The naval cavalry person who doesn't bow from battle resolution, which uh, made it really frustrating for me to attack into him. And then in uh, New York, Dan Devine was playing this really, really wacky AV deck where he was running Clan Heartlands and reinforcing line, and then using the reaction of Stronghold to use Clan Heartlands in turn one and then attach a bunch of stuff, and using Phantom Blade Kata to take provinces. And in the meantime, playing Southern Blockade on you during your turn. I hear Southern Blockade is good. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I've heard if you can put your opponent in a pretty bad position turn one, so, it becomes so, better. So you got the double whammy there of just getting surprised and taking a province with a one-force guy, and, oh, you have to pay extra now, too. Pretty rough. But obviously you didn't win the, uh, the New York Post. So the problem with Blitz is that if you can't, Get that early head start and, you know, get that sucker punch in, then, then everything else is kind of like, oh crap, I actually have to fight now. 
Yeah, you have some ability to blitz now, but not consistently enough to be scary like Phoenix Blitz was for a second there before they MRP'd him around and a bunch of things. That was pretty scary, guys. Yeah. <laughs> then we've got Scorpion. Scorpion have won four Kote, like I said earlier, that's... Oh, did you want to talk about Phoenix, Kevin? No, I thought yeah. we'd just skip over them. I didn't think you guys Phoenix, I, don't, I don't pay attention enough to the order. Okay. Okay, Phoenix then. Phoenix is one of the clans, along with Dragon and Unicorn and Scorpion, who have bad make the cut rates. It's one more Kote than Unicorn and Dragon together, though, so you can be happy about that. Yeah. And I think you've been playing City of Tears Military, and that seems like the most consistently successful Phoenix deck now. Uh, I know we had... That was neither of the decks that was in the all-Phoenix final with Cases, uh, the last one deck versus the other. deck was the City of Tears Military deck as well. It just happened to be the last one deck. Um, the most popular deck out of Phoenix right now is TSP Tears. That's what the Phoenix players enjoy playing. Hmm. I don't think that's how I play right now. That's not what I play. It's like anyone really dueling heavily. Right Crane now? Embassy. Crane Embassy. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Dragon Last Step Castle will duel also, which is one of the problems with dueling decks, and especially with, with Last Step Castle, is that the Crane still win their duels even against your dueling deck. They win their duels anyway. Yeah. They're running low stance to, you know, to get around the box. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the deck popular. The win in Greece was a, a CFT style military deck. I don't know how much it was like mine or not. Nobody seems to be running anything like my deck. Personally. There was a, a top Phoenix in California who was actually running China Champions Honor, which is still something that's a force to be reckoned with. Uh, it's so I have a hard time against Reader and Lion Mike. And now you can shameful and cowardly hoo-hoo. Yay! <laughs> I mean, I've got a pretty good trying to change the deck that I would consider playing if I didn't like my other deck so much. Yeah, I think that the other decks that Phoenix can put together are also decks where you know, in the hands of a, a good player have the ability to make the cut but it, it feels like there's a definite advantage to City of Tears Military, and that one just seems like the, have the best chance of making cut and the best chance of walking out with winning. Every battle action I take kills one of your guys. But we've already hit upon at least a few decks where a good way to beat them is pretty much feed military and just outrush them, and City of Tears is pretty decent at that. Yeah. Let's see, Scorpion, I like I was saying, Scorpion has a bad rate of making the cut, but they've won for Kote. I am not sure why this is. They have, have a key, key theory. Well, theory, my theory <laughs> number one is that they're not playing Dishonor enough. That that we're. I mean, I, I know last year we were all like, "Oh, you guys should play Ninja. It's actually good." Nobody wanted to play Ninja, and inexplicably, now that Dishonor <laughs> has all the tools in the world. It's not, I mean, it's getting played. The wins, Scorpion's wins are, I think three of the four are from Dishonor, but there are so many people who are still playing Ninja. And Ninja's just not as good. Out of, you know, we, we, we'll get the Spider Breeder in a second. Dishonor is the one thing that Breeder doesn't 
doesn't have a good matchup against. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and, I guess a lot of people are just worried about running into the Embassy Dishonor? Uh, well, part of the part of the problem is that for Dishonor is that one of the bad matchups is Alliance. And players have a tendency to avoid their bad matchup. So, because, like I say, they'll, they'll bring in your key people like Oh yeah, no, Lion's a bad matchup for Dishonor, there's no doubt. But I think if you want to make the cut or win a Cote as Scorpion, you should get together a good Dishonor deck. Now... I mean, you can still do it. I know there's some, you know, question up in the air about how good the Dishonor decks are that people who are playing, you know, the Flores' deck that he won with is reportedly superior to other Dishonor decks, <laughs> so that's not what the Scorpion players are playing when they're playing Dishonor, but I, I don't know. I don't know if it's some kind of a turbo. Anything? I plead the fifth. <laughs> you don't want to incriminate yourself? No. Okay. Uh, I have no idea what he's talking about. I will probably just end up saying something that Chris will have to edit out. And oh, oh, yeah, he wants to <laughs> comment on the intelligence of Scorpion players or something. That's okay, they think you're dumb too. He, he just wants to earn that lunch bomb that's going to find him at Gen Con this year. Yeah, just remember, it's Kevin that you want. He's going to be the one in the skirt. It's <laughs> a kill. I've actually checked with the Scots. It's not a kill. The Scots don't matter. The hot girls do. Hot girls think it's a kill. That uh, that is a kill. That's right, everybody. You heard it here first. Kevin, Lady Magnet. That's what he goes to Gen Gun for. Pick up chicks. Okay, uh, on the spider. On that, I think this as well. <laughs> okay, Kevin. <laughs> on the spider. Spider decks. Spider players are playing breeder. That's what they're breeder. playing. I think there has been one monk side deck that made a top eight, but. Breeder. Uh, breeder, 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 breeder. Uh, as you may or may not be aware, a number of people, including me, have advocated nerfing breeder, banning something, errating something, or multiple somethings to fix it. Uh, I guess I'll, you can, again, you can go on strangeassembly.com and read what I wrote about that last weekend, so I won't regurgitate all of it, but breeder does very well at putting decks into the cut. It does very well at winning Cote. After it's made the cut, it's won a third, almost of the, it's won about 30% of the Cote so far, 10 out of 33. Yeah. It's very resistant to meta. It has the ability to counter meta your meta, although as we'll see in a second, I don't know how much counter meta they're actually playing, but even without that, they have a lot of ability to plow through a lot of the meta right. and just win anyway. I mean, I've been running three copies of Captain Zero in my deck specifically for the Breeder matchup. And in Florida, I won against Rich, who won the tournament in Swiss, who's my Breeder match, because I saw Captain Zero. And the game I won was a close game, and then the game I lost to him in Swiss was also a close game. And that, after I have a guy... He's got a pretty battle action that says kill three zombies. Yeah, it's a, a lot of times even if you play the meta and even if your meta works, you're still in the I have to see my meta or I just don't win. Right. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm not, we're not, I'm not saying, I don't know what anybody else here is going to say. I'm not saying Breeder is invincible. I'm not saying it's the only good deck. I'm not saying that 
It has absolutely all great matchups. I don't think the Dishonor... I don't know how bad the Dishonor matchup necessarily is. I don't I, know how bad it is. Period. I think the it's Breeder is their worst. You actually but. have to pay attention while you're playing that matchup. But <laughs> you have meta against Breeder if you want have to win against If you want to have a reasonable chance of winning against them. Yeah, so everybody is online has heard my opinion on What is your guy's opinion about whether or not Breeder should be... I really feel like it should be come down a little bit. Nuke it for Morbid. It's the only way to be sure. I mean, the, but the problem is I don't, I don't really know how. Like, how, how would you meta Breeder? And there's... The problem I mean, how is, would you there's a lot of people... Breeder, excuse me. There's a lot of people who are kind of arguing back and forth about what exactly you need to nerf something for. I mean, if it makes the environment less fun, is that a good enough reason to? If it, it's, it has made the environment less fun for me, because every other clan cannot run... Boxable, yeah. essentially, <laughs> because of, because of breeder, like any any deck that's reliant on boxable personalities, you can't play it because you're going to get hit by all the breeder meta. I mean, I'd say by just about any of the metrics you're looking at, breeder is basically it's got. I think it's only really not good matchup is dishonor, which is a small subset of two clans, and. There's a ton of meta for it, but every piece of meta has a cure, and like we said, it doesn't do much. You're like, I'm going to kill yeah. your zombies with my and meta. The, okay, Udo makes more. The problem with fixing the problem with meta is that you have a significant probability of not seeing your meta. Yeah, oh, and it weakens you against other things usually. Or the deck, yeah. And yeah. What do you do to fix it? I, I don't know. I'm not... You can just start swinging the bat and all sorts of stuff. I'm certainly in favor of if they were going to nerf something, and it We'll probably talk about later. I don't think that they will. But if they were going to nerf something, I think that you err on the side of nerfing hard because I think the worst case scenario is that you nerf, try to nerf a deck, and then it's still too good. Yeah. Uh, now you're in the worst of both worlds. You've gone to all the sturm and drong of issuing errata yeah. or banning something. You, you've angered a lot of spider players and, and everybody else is still on And did nothing. Yeah. Yeah. What? I, and I think you would anger... I don't know if it's a lot, but certainly a large chunk of Trader players. But it's also interesting to note that you've also had people like Ornitov come out and say that he thinks that Breeder Ornitov is one of the most outspoken people about the decks he's playing being overpowered when they are. So yeah, Ornitov's suggestion was that you'd change Fields of the Dead itself from being three gold to being Foul the Stronghold, which crimps the gold and hurts any sort of possible future deck out of Fields of the Dead, a stronghold which has so far won the two Gen Cons of Celestial Edition. A lot of people have suggested un-MRPing Fury of the Dark Lord, so it actually hit Shadowlands guys again. I think that's interesting. I don't think that is enough. There's still cures for that, too. Counter-metaphor. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thing to throw in, but you've got plenty of tools in there. I don't know that any one is the linchpin, but at least knocking some of them out would bring stuff in. And most of it just consists of the Shugenja who makes make who themselves make zombies. Yeah. Well there are there are there are some also just you know ridiculous fake cards that the deck can run. It's just and one of those decks. Well they don't really do that much anymore. Really? Yeah, which is something that I one of the things that has come up in this conversation is that you'll have one player say, oh, 
this thing X that Breeder does is it is too good, it is a problem. And then somebody else will say, what, what are you talking about? Breeder doesn't even run that anymore. So what I did was I went through, I had access to 10 different Breeder decks that had made the cut. One of them was the same deck twice from the two Polish Cotes with slight modifications. I just used the second version of that that actually, that won the Cote, that won the Cote. And to come up with at least for that sample size, what kinds of cards do you actually see in there? And I don't know that that's, I don't think that that's entirely representative. I think when we, I'd like to talk about some of those cards, and I think that, you know, we'll get to some cards that I think are more prevalent in your generic reader deck than are in these ones that have been making the cut. But what, as far as what is it that you need to expect when you are running into a reader deck? They are going to have Chuda Atsuro. They are going yes. to have Chuda Anisi. They are going to have Chuda Atso. They are going to have Udo. Atsu, the two gold Atsu, sorry. Atsu, yeah, the, the, the two gold guy. The cheap yeah. 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 They are probably going to have Hachigoro. I was surprised that like a third of the ones that had made... When I talked to Rich about it, he's like, I only need to include Hachigoro for the line. Yeah, but they still usually include. But yeah, Hachigoro is usually in there, but not always. Chuda Shuzo is usually in as a but not as a three of. Daigatsu Susumu is always there. And I think that's really it for the the guys that you're always going to see. That's what? That's, that's maybe 18, 18, 19 guys. Oh, you're probably going to see Akabi and Chuda Sakai. But, you know, that's that's not all of the deck. And then you've got some other packages. Some, on a couple of decks, it was Gotobu. Only two of those decks ran, actually ran Gotobu. you got plenty of other. You can blow up Hachigoro. You can blow up a random undead guy. Three more. Yeah, there was the a couple of the decks ran the Quiet Death Superior Mobility package. The quiet Death stops them from being able right. to move, so Superior Mobility can kill them. It, you know, a couple of them had Taizo, a couple of them had, uh, you know, a copy of Master Salad or something. But that's the main core that you're looking at is mostly just Shugenja who are cheap, Shugenja who create undead one way or another. Either, you know, they die and they create undead, or they come into play and they create undead, or your other guys die and they create undead, and then the amazing... And that's actually, just to break in, that's actually something that I think is probably one of the biggest problems with the breeder deck, is if you look at other games and you look at the kind of decks that make tokens and abuse you with little tiny tokens, like little squirrels and magic or something like that, you're talking about a relatively small chunk of their deck that's churning out these tokens. I think breeders hit the point where there's so many sources spitting out these little zombies that it's just too much dealing. It's that kind of resiliency. It's it's fast. It's resilient against honor and dishonor decks, especially honor decks. It can just run them over more quickly than they can deal with. Control elements are very ineffective against yeah. the guys that actually show up in battle. I mean, you can bow Udo, I guess. And then against another military deck, it's just got inevitability. Yep. If you stalemate, they're eventually going to win. You're right. going to get in the position where... Where the, I've got four provinces and they've got one, but they've got 16 people. Well, if you're lucky if they've only got one and you've actually province, got four. 50 zombies of that province, 50 zombies of that yeah, province, that's usually the way it goes Yeah, but... And, and eventually you get multiple... things like multiple Udo on the board. 
so that you you can claw and shell until you kill two guys and they replace they them profit. or yeah. possibly profit. Replace them at profit. Holding wise, the deck you know some obvious things: a set of Shinnaman Marsh, a set of, set of expendable resources. The ones that are making the cut anyway have usually not been running Oyo Sato, although I think you're probably more likely to see that yeah. in your generic deck. Set of Border Village, few copies of Barley Farm, sometimes one, sometimes two, sometimes three. Andrew Ornatov is a big proponent of Barley Farm. They they play with one or two traveling peddlers, a dark oracle of fire. Great. <laughs> yes. The only event or region of Celestial that was in most of the decks was Private Shrine. So I think that's something you're probably going to see as a two of. I didn't see a single one of those decks that had Jimmy's Decree in it. Actually, that's one of the interesting things. Of these decks that made the cut, I think you'll see more in your generics breeder deck. Of these decks that made the cuts, they had very little event meta. There were between nine decks, there were four copies of Four Warning. No Jimmy's Decree. Yeah, most of them had like two Private Shrine and one Honor meta and a Celestial of some sort, although it varied between Fulang's Guidance and Daikoku's Guidance and, and Big Nagami's... Well, but if I don't have his deck list... So just some random things. On the Fate side, the deck usually has Border Ambush for a massive force pump. Right. Yeah. Uh, almost always has Flanked by Nightmares. Awesome kill. Usually plays a couple of copies of Questionable Charity. Full play set of Scouting Far Field, a full play yeah. set of uh, Unclean Sacrifice. Usually two Unnatural Hunger, apparently. A lot of them did not have three Unnatural yeah, Hunger. In fact, there were more copies of Claw and Shell in these decks than there were copies of Unnatural Hunger. Yeah. Uh, I only run two copies of Unnatural Hunger. Could you run into a mirror match every once in a while? <laughs> uh, but, oh yeah, a play set of Final Duty. Another one that I was a little bit surprised about, that there were, they usually did not run Unfamiliar Ground, or, or they'd run it, or I guess, I I guess a slight majority ran two copies of it, but a lot of them didn't run it at all. So there, a lot of them are running Unfamiliar Ground or Crippling Weather. How many of them are running Crippling Weather? Uh, I think two of them had two copies of it each. Shameful and Cowardly is often in there. Often as a two of, usually as a two of instead of a three of, but often in there. Route is usually in the deck as a two of. Game of Sincerity often in the deck as a two of. Ultimate Sacrifice generally in, obviously, a singleton. And then two copies of Might of the Shadowlands, usually no copies of Consuming the Flesh. Mm-hmm. So that could be interesting because one of the... They don't have much in the way of foils so to turn the tide. Of the Shadowlands is really good. Yeah. Like, you can, you can turn these on these into province tickets easily against the seven ports, seven province tickets deck. Yeah, but like I said, there's not much in the way of event meta. They're 4 4 warning. I mean, actually, none of the other I mean, if I had to, to, to nerf any one card in my deck, you might see my understanding. But I know they can win without it. Well, the, yeah, the problem, yeah. That, that's, that's part of the problem is that you said, what is it that you're at it? Because there are a lot of things if you look at it, you say, well, if you ban this one card, the deck's still going to be good. quite good. So I, I don't I don't know. Like I, I said when I, I wrote it on the website, I don't really have a position about what specifically it is in there that needs to be meta. But I think something needs to come out because it's the deck, or, not, or, or nerf, not meta, the deck is just very resistant to meta. It has a lot of ability 
to win through meta. It has a lot of ability. That, as you can see, these decks are They're not even running much winning meta. even when they don't have counter meta, but it's out there for the deck if it wants to run it. But I just thought that was interesting to go through as far as what is actually in breeder decks, and I'll probably end up writing something about that and putting it on uh, Strange Assembly, but until I actually get around to that, so, there's I mean, something. If you want to try and beat it, you're basically going to be running both the meta events, your three copies of Corn Shell you should anyway, and then I'd probably throw in a couple of copies of Turn the Tide if your deck can handle them. And that's quite a bit of meta for this one deck, but that may be what it takes. And then there's counter options, which apparently yeah. most of the decks making the cut aren't playing, but they could if it comes a problem. Well, they've got their... I mean, the, the counter for Pawn Shell is just having lots of zombies yeah. or having Udo out. Yeah, Pawn Shell is just there because it handles... It's always good. I mean, it's... Yeah. If you have Pawn Shell right away, that's when it really can yeah. get the job done. But once they've got 12 guys, it's like... Mm. <laughs> and then Unicorn... Unicorn have won one Kote. They are one of the clans that's had a poor rate of making the cut as well. I don't really have anything exciting to play. There were, there were, the, the top two at the Leal Kote were Breeder, but the three and four were both Unicorn. One of them was Battle Maidens. One of them was, which I think is pretty solid. One of them was the Scout Blitz, which I have not seen rear its head. I haven't seen that in, in a, while. a while. John played it a little bit. But... I mean, at least that one player played it well enough and got consistent enough results out of it. I haven't too. seen Battle Maidens do, like, anything up until now. Yeah, this get really, really hard to take from Calibre. Because so many, many of their actions are required on the defender. Yeah, well, that's why the you see in Before the Dawn, the Lion Paragon box, you right. need to keep your personal on yeah. even when you're dishonored. So, yeah, I wish we had more to say about Unicorn, but I just, I really don't. The Unicorn... The Unicorn weren't doing well before this either, oh, so it's the, not like they're carrying over success. Oh, yeah, they, yeah, sorry. yeah, Unicorn have gotten the short end of the stick in Celestial Edition. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, they just have. I know my dragon chums are all gloomy, but, you know, we did have a good run there earlier yeah. in Celestial Edition for at least six or nine months, but the Unicorn just have not have had, had anything. Nothing worked, really. The only unicorn thing you've heard, heard people even mildly fear was, like, Hatsuma Blitz super, super early in the arc. Like, <laughs> that seems like it was a million years ago yes. when everyone was worried about Hatsuma Blitz out of unicorn. Civility, civility, civility Tatsuma. Tatsuma, yeah. <laughs> I, okay. It's been a long while since I, I've seen civility, and even then it was in Phoenix. So... Overall, I thought it might be interesting before we close out the Kote session. Yeah. Oh, wait, How? a Ronin made the cut. Yes, there was a Ronin deck that made the cut. <laughs> it made top four. Well, oh, it's posted on our website. Yeah. Like many other. I mean, he posted it on the AG4. I mean, I've had a chance to play it. It's actually in a phone. Yes. The Ronin have made the cut once. They have not won any Kote. They have... Which, but that one deck, so 2.78% of Ronin players have hey, made the cut. I think Ronin making the cut is a huge achievement. Uh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. But we're not like advocating that if you want to make the cut, go play Ronin. It's just that there's a possibility where you might not be 100% guaranteed not to make the cut if you play Ronin. Wouldn't it be great if Ronin had an awesome matchup against Greeter or something? It was just the Medicare. <laughs> yes. Uh, it loses to everything else that's good against Breeder. But I thought it would be interesting to look back at what 
what's different about the Cote environment than what we all thought it was, that we thought it was going to be? Because I know it's interesting, if you looked at our, our predictions of us and our listeners, oh, I'm way off. We, yeah. well, we were quite good early in the season. And the biggest difference between what most people thought and what has ended up happening is that we all thought that Spider, or mostly people thought that Spider was not going to do Everyone very well. Everyone thought Dishonor was going to make them alive, yeah. Yeah, and that Spider, and, and that's, and a counterpoint to that is a lot of people had Scorpion high, and Scorpion has not. Uh, yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> but remember, Kevin put Scorpion last, but not because he actually right, thinks they're going to be bad, just out of not, spite. So you don't actually get any brownie points for that. It wasn't because of the card. Yeah. Yes. Uh, although that does help your scoring. And I know Jay and Kevin have been the two best Strange Assembly people along Woo-hoo. with, I think, Frosty the Cat. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens when people use their forum handles to submit things. And Sparks, I think, was on there. I know somebody else who have, who have had uh, a decent stuff. I mean, I think we all thought that Lion and Crab and Crane, or, or most people thought that Lion and Crab and Crane were going to be very good. And I think that they all have been. I think. I mean, Crane has had disappointing well, make the cut I, rates, but I think I don't I think anybody thought, thinks they're I not good. Crane was going to be good because of Crane Dishonor, and Crane Honor has been a real surprise for me. You know, Crane Honor has been the one that's been winning. Yeah, I mean, we mostly thought Mantis was going to be okay. They mostly have been. I think Dragon's been worse than I thought. Dragon was going to be fine. Thought. Yeah, I mean, I think. Dragon usually got stuck in the middle of the pack, and I think there's... I had Dragon up at, like, third or something. Yeah, you've got those bottom four clans that kind of bobble around between six, seven, eight, nine with the make-the-cut percentage. So, I mean, it's kind of random there. Even when Dragon happens to be the one that bobbles up to getting six, six it's... I yeah. mean, they're still definitely worse than people thought they were going to be. Uh, I think most of us thought that Unicorn and Phoenix were not going to do well, and mostly yeah. I'm right about that. So, uh, unfortunately, the big... Swing and a miss that most of us took on this environment was thinking that the meta and the dishonor was going to actually keep Breeder down, and that has not happened. Not only did we think dishonor was going to be a bigger deal than it was, I think that well, I think a lot of people, and I know that definitely I underestimated. I didn't think Judah and EC was that good. I thought like, oh, he's decent, but I mean, it's it's, it's Surrey. I mean, you still get to keep the Shugenja on the table, and he gets. It's exactly as many force as you get gold. I mean, in Isi, you don't have the Shugenja anymore. It's more gold yeah. than you get force. Oh, oh, am I a fool, fool, fool. <laughs> it, it, it just has to do with the, the, the sheer number in the leader back, and as long as they have one, they're, they're, they're still threat. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. how do you deal with three guys? That's three actions that you don't have. And they can afford to run a relatively generic card base. You're not kind of forced into like running cards that are specific to Shugenja and Jimbo or whatever. Well, they use specifically Shugenja and undead cards. I mean, I'm talking really about Fate Side. They have Fate Side. Like, yeah. Oh, besides Unclean sacrifice, sacrifice, Unnatural Hunger, Might of the Shadowlands. I think Questionable Charity just cares that you're Spider, right? For its. Um, I, mean, I think you need a you need a Shugenja for that. As well. Okay. Yeah. I mean, but but Unnatural Hunger doesn't require Shugenja. Well, no, because because undead. Undead. Yeah. but all your people are undead. Yes, yeah. yes, they are. Uh, so we're yeah we're ten weeks into Cote season. We're I think thirty three Cote in out of about fifty eight. It's L five R zombie apocalypse. And the, well, okay, that's Get that's kind shotguns. of Get I think that's kind of overstated. I don't I don't think it's an apocalypse by Get any means. 
Yeah. He's a secondary weapon. Okay, and with that bit of hyperbole out of the Phoenix players, let's call this segment a wrap. Two Scorpion-related corrections to the foregoing segment. I said that Dishonor had won three Kote. It has actually won two. The Australian Kote that was won by Scorpion was won by a Hidden Moon Dojo Ninja deck. Additionally, I made a reference to Flores's Green Bay Cote winning Dishonor deck not being available, and since we recorded this segment, Flores has posted it, and you can find it on the AEG forums as well as the Strange Assembly forums. Okay, for Before the Dawn, Strange Assembly this time has two previews. Uh, Ooh, of course, by how the many are worth Coco? None. <laughs> and since that was we the all, best part of that other card. It was. <laughs> and since we have to put the stuff up today, as today, May 1st, as we're recording, I have to put them up on our website later today. By the time you, the audience, are listening to this, you will have already seen them and won't care. But we're going to make you listen to it anyway. We'll show that's you. the kind of people we are. That'll learn them. We've got to, yeah, that'll teach you for downloading our podcast. <laughs> you fools. We're going to give you an education, whether you want it or not. Well, I don't know if an education is really the right word, but. <laughs> we're going to entertain you, whether you want it or not. I also don't know if that's <laughs> the right word. Keep going, because that's the right <laughs> Cut our losses. Read the previews. Okay. <laughs> We've got, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. Two, they're both strategies. The first is defending their home, which is a heroic strategy. Zero gold, three focus value. Battle, choose your performing unbowed hero. Give him plus two fours for each personality you control, not at the current battlefield. Uh, and then it got some touchy-feely flavor text about, once, once battle was its reward, now it, is, it meant something else, preserving a way of life. And it's got a picture of a samurai with his baby. Yeah, with his... So and then, like, the crying... Well, I think it's with his son and, like, the crying wife in the back. I think he's going off the... I don't know that Timur was kind of hungry to me. <laughs> no, it is not Fat Bastard. <laughs> it's not going to eat the baby. He's just a normal old samurai who, for whatever reason, is displaying emotion, which is just inappropriate. How dare he? <laughs> so, heroes... Unopposed force pump again. This one's battle action. Yes. It's a, it's a hero card that lion heroes can play. Yes, if they want to send... I guess you split up your heroes. Yeah. yeah. Or just attack with the one and hope they're like, oh, why would I bother defending? I don't know. I'm not right. too impressed by force pump. I'm not too impressed by a force pump that only applies to a single guy and then gives him bonuses for people who aren't there. I'm much more impressed by force pump that say all 20 of my zombies get plus two fours. Well, not every card can do that. Well, Thank uh, God. Yeah. On the other hand, it's kind of nice of, at the end of the battle, oh, you've sent all but one of my guys home. Well, he's still pretty big. He's still gigantic. Yeah. I mean, it's still just a force pump. Unopposed yeah. makes it better, but... Doesn't a Legion of One already give you a potentially giant yeah. force pump and make it harder to deal with you? It's a plus uh, two uh, force pump for every... Opposing unit. Opposing yeah. unit. Right. Yeah. So Legion of One is good against the zombie match. This would be good against a defensive deck that 
sends both armies home, you're left with one guy, and that's it. Yeah, it's the... And suddenly, hey, province. You take action after action after action after action, both sides have done their thing, and now this is a finisher, whereas a legion oh, by the one way, is kind of something you need to lead with, yeah. when you'd really be rather leading with, I kill your guy. Right. Or, yeah. I, you know, in some way, get rid of your uh, really good person. It does get better towards the end of the battle, which is when you're going to be playing these force pumps anyway. So. Uh, yeah. So in, in that in that regard, it actually probably better than a legion of one because yes. you don't want yes. to lead with a legion of one, but that's when you have to play a legion of one. Right. It is much better than another card that's not being played. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The other card we have is Reckless Rush, also zero gold cost strategy. Also, three focus value. Battle, bow your performing personality and target an enemy card without attachments. Bow it. Destroy it if it is an attachment or if its base gold cost is zero. Before this battle's resolution, straighten your personality. Uh, and it's got flavor text about the crane and the lion, lion fighting shoulder to shoulder and back to back. How crazy. Well, I think if you look at this theme, at this set, I mean, it's all the flavor text is about the war against yeah. the destroyers, basically. So, I like Reckless Rush better. Of course, don't really like bowing my guy as a cost just to blow up an attachment or bow your guy, but you aren't really bowing your guy here. Right. Well, it's actually nice if your opponent is going to bow out your army that this straightens them after the fact so they don't get to rebow. Yeah, or even if they just might. Your opponent usually wants to bow out your, like, a high force guy. You just bow him down in advance, and now he's Unbowable. He, he's unbowable, yeah. He's going to come back. Well, it's like setting Sunstrike. Right. The way I'm looking at it is, I mean, pretty much it's close to costless. It's a little funky, but if they want that guy to be dealt with, they're going to have to blow another action on him anyway. So it's essentially the same kind of thing. And what you're getting out of it is destroy an attachment or a card without a... Or bow personality. Or, or bow personality without attachment. And that's... I'm Fine, just not not a big fan of most cards that bow my people, because a lot of actions you have to be on that form. Yes. But it's... I mean, yeah, what you're no, getting out of it is not... At this point in the arc... Well, but it's not just at this point in the arc. This is also... I mean, these are dual yeah, bosses. Yeah, this is stuff that's going to be starting for yeah. the next arc. I don't think Reckless Rush is great or anything, but... Okay, but that's Reckless Rush. I don't know. I think it's better than Defending Their Home, but Justin, you had a different opinion? I just... I mean, I don't know. I, at, at this point in the arc, Reckless Rush is nothing. We'll just hit that part first. I mean, I, I don't think I, anyone's going to play I don't think either of these is really going to see that much play this arc. I think the question is their usability next arc. Right. And their... For me, Reckless Rush is much more playable if the environment is bow-heavy. Whereas if the environment becomes send home heavy or kill heavy, it's a much less but, valuable action. But, but what happens is, I mean, there's all these cards that are, you know, it's good against bow or it's good against send home. And I mean, this is especially good against decks that really want to bow you out. But I don't think there's almost ever any kind of deck where you can just think about it and be like and point to it and say, this is the deck that wants to bow me constantly and has nothing else. Yeah. We also don't know yet whether or not there's going to be a hero theme. And That's true. And it's nothing in previewed heroes? Not as a theme. Huh. 
That would make there that must less, <laughs> much worse of a card. So in theory, if there are no heroes, it would be a terrible card next turn. Well, or even if there are heroes, but your deck isn't full of them. Yeah. Right. So. Right. I mean, defending their home, you almost need every, like at least half of your deck. Oh uh, yeah, heroes. it's a very, it's a very specific. I'm going to make the assumption that some deck. clan is going to have a large-ish number of heroes in it when look, looking at this card. Phoenix heroes, yeah. Yes, that third on your list after artisans and claymen. No, no. At, at this point, now that they've uh, previewed the inquisitors, I've decided the other two things I want are Asako courtiers and Asako spells. So I just have a Asako clan. <laughs> if you were gonna have a courtier deck, it would be Asako. Exactly. Yeah, the yeah. I don't know how you do Asako spells. And the Asako get wiped out. This, the this and the Agasha. This what? And the Ag- Who? <laughs> <laughs> Only the Dragon Clan player would remember the Agasha. Oh, okay. Hey, all those guys with two elemental keywords that you like playing with? And Agasha. They used to be mine. <laughs> okay, do we have anything else exciting to say about the previews that our audience probably already looked at like five days ago? Nope. No, nope. they're fine. Nothing amazing. Okay, there you go. If you haven't yet, you can look at the full card images, including the pretty, pretty pictures, on strangeassembly.com. Look at that. This is the third segment about L5R. We didn't just have the... Kote and then the Emperor Edition. What what has happened to us here at Strange Assembly? Yeah. I think we've got the latest episode of the Imperial Herald finally. There were people on other continents who got it before it got from California to here. I think my local store got it before I did. I still haven't received one yet. <laughs> yes. But I think there's a good number of interesting upcoming tidbits in there and we're not gonna, you know, sit here and read through it. You can get your own bloody arrow. But I think the first random thing is there's a Before the Dawn storyline update where we find out that somehow the crab forces that were holed up in Shiro Haruma are still alive and well, despite having been without resupply or anything for the last couple of years. The airdrops. Aren't the Haruma the scouts? Yes. That makes sense. Right, it makes totally sense that your scouts that are holed up behind a fort, surrounded by an enemy army in the Shadowlands, have been able to resupply themselves. They've been eating Shadowlands bugs for the last couple of years. No, no, no. The, the, the destroyers uh, just didn't bother to attack them ever. No, no, they wait, just I, I remember them. this. There are Nizumi tunnels that resupply them. So it's the Nizumi who did it. <laughs> uh, well, the, I believe that the Nizumi so tunnels the, would so get you back to what? Crablands that yes. are occupied by the destroyers as well? Sudden, suddenly there's a, uh, a, a rattling behind you with a bento box, and you're like, thank you, tick tick. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but the, so the, the Haruma are apparently unharmed and are now attacking the destroyers from behind because they finally run out of destroyers. So instead of being an infinite wave of destroyers, there's now an end of the wave, which is somewhere in Crablands right now. So apparently the infinite number of destroyers is running out if before st- the very, very finite number of samurai is going to run if out. If you stand really, really still, the T-Rex can't see you. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Wait. They just held their position. Just like, wait, wait, so we're still in the first movie? Didn't yeah. they change their mind on that by the third? I have no idea. If there are new updates in One year they're cold-blooded, the next year they're sort of warm-blooded. I mean... Make up your mind. 
Anyway. He was so, afraid to simply segue. Paleontology. <laughs> <laughs> yes. One year then. They encountered the Starship Voyager that they've somehow ended up in the Delta Quadrants. I now formally apologize for saying anything about paleontology. Uh, anyway. how, how, how did we go from paleontology to bad Star Trek reference? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I mean, I thought I could tangent, but what was that? You don't remember the episode of Star Trek Voyager where they ran into dinosaurs? Turn the page Why on the Why I guess I did ask a follow-up question about what the heck you were talking about. I should have just ignored it. Exactly. It's like a toddler. <laughs> Don't laugh at him when he's dumb. Or else he just keeps doing it again. Uh, uh, but apparently the Phoenix have also just moved all their forces down to the southern front, so... Yeah, we killed Josiah. We're done. Uh, yeah, well, it notes that he's wounded and out of the fight, so presumably he's not actually, you know out of the fight yet, because I'm guessing he's going to have yeah. to come back and get killed at some point. He's, he's turned into general preview. You miss Windu. Wow, and I thought your Star Trek Voyager reference was bad, Jay. Jeez. Ugh. Yes! Oh my god. I mean, we're, okay, you're right, Jeff. Yes, let's just not worry about whatever storyline things have been happening. Just ignore the crazy Phoenix players. Yeah, there's a full page of stuff on Forgotten Legacy. Forgotten Legacy is the upcoming direct-to-player set. There is a bit about the story, which I think kind of strongly implies, in case you hadn't guessed already, that there is going to be a time jump, because it talks about Hida Fubatsu as a big sensei, and he's pretty young right now. It also talks about the when all the Naga are disappearing, very Naga-focused, the Forgotten mm -hmm. Legacy storyline. When the Naga are disappearing, it talks about the parents of the Dragon Clan and Unicorn Clan champions disappearing, while the two Naga involved are the husband of the current Dragon Clan champion and the wife of the current Unicorn Clan champion. So, if the parents of the Unicorn and Dragon Clan champions are disappearing, that makes it sound like the Unicorn and Dragon Clan champions are no longer Chen and Ken, but rather their kids. So that makes it sound like there's been some sort of time jump before we even get to Forgotten Legacy, which comes out in Brilliant Homes? July? Or could be talking about a cautious parents. You don't know. It wouldn't be talking about their parents because it separately talks about how the Mara mm -hmm. has disappeared, and she's Moreshi's mother, so there wouldn't be a need for a separate reference about her disappearing if she was included in the parents who disappeared. There's an embassy of the Naga in the Imperial City that's burned the on the screen. ground. I didn't know about huh. that. I don't know if Mara was supposed to be at the embassy, but it says no remain. I think she was implied that she was at the embassy. So that was interesting. That I have an know. embassy. Apparently the Mara was at, was not in the Shinnaman, but was, was in, or maybe she will be. Maybe she's not yet, because it's in the future. Right. The other noteworthy thing about Forgotten Legacy, as we mentioned in the news desk, is there's this new Eternity bug where... Forgotten Legacy, every single card, I think, yeah, every card, yeah, Risa said every single card in Forgotten Legacy is double bug, CE, and Emperor Edition. There are also six cards that have an Eternity bug, which means it's both for CE and Emperor and whatever the arc after Emperor is. We know that two of these six cards are 
the experienced border keep and the experienced bamboo harvesters. Uh, on the forums, Reese said that people, you know, people expressed concerns about availability of these. Uh, Reese said that they are not going to be in the Emperor Edition starter decks, but the article actually says that this is the only place that they're available. That's not a fan. <laughs> which raises the specter of two and a half years from now, whenever the next arc starts, these six cards seem like they're going to be of limited availability. I mean, are people going to go back and spend $100 if AEG has actually kept them in the store to just get these six, or do they have to get two and a half year old singles? I'm, I'm sure they'll release a director play, or not a, uh, learn to play set that'll have them. Because that's what know. they've done in the past. I hope they do something. Yeah, I mean, it makes it sound, the article in the Herald makes it sound like they're, maybe they're just not, there's nothing official and they just assume that eventually, because I mean, there seems like there'd be real availability problems. And it's not like having gifts and favors in KYD and then never releasing it anywhere, which would have been disastrous, because you basically would have been like, you can't even play yeah. if you don't buy the director yeah. player set, because you're, I, mean, I, I think, still going to have the normal bamboo keep harvester in the border. Keep, I mean, but. I remember before the next set came out, when they had released gifts and favors, it was like a $30 car. So if they had never released another gifts and favors, that would probably be like a $200 card very quickly. There doesn't seem to be a CCG design reason to bug these things eternity. So uh, it makes me think that there would be a marketing reason, but unless you are actually planning on having these in stock two and a half years from now, when the next arc launches, also, that I don't know how that would help generate I'm sales. I'm going to hope that they release them later on in when the, the arc after Emperor starts. Some other yeah, direct somewhere. Yeah, because otherwise, something. even if the set's still available, you're paying $100 for six cards. Yeah. yeah. That'd be pretty terrible. There's an article about Cuton Suzumi called Saying Goodbye to Breeder. <laughs> Hello, Apparently, Breeder. You're putting rings on the wrong side of your sword. <laughs> yeah, it, it's got the, the same art that was used in the, the preview. But yes, obviously that has not worked out so well. I don't know. There's a big long thing about War of Honor. I want War of Honor. I want to come yeah, out. I know. See, I haven't been teased like you and Trevor have like, by actually playing it at Gen Con. So I, as far as I'm concerned, this whole War of Honor game, it doesn't exist. It's, it's mythical. Okay, it well, mythical. it's got it's a story... It's been mythical for like two decades now. It's got a storyline event at Gen Con. Yeah, so it'll be really impressive to see how they pull that off without any product. <laughs> You're assuming that two months later it still won't have come out? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. Oh, you have a little faith. On Friday, there is a War of Honor sealed event scheduled. War and of I Honor think, sealed event? Yeah, and I, and I thought that there was some sort of War of Honor name a card event going on, too. I don't know if that's one of those. Oh, yeah, name of card. Yeah, you've got a storyline War of Honor event on Friday at Gen Con. And then you've got Sealed War of Honor events. I'd be interested to see how Sealed War of Honor turns out. It may sealed turn out... multiplayer War of Honor? Yeah. Well, but War of Honor is designed to be played as a standalone you can play, uh, one of thing. Them, I so I think that that's actually probably easier to do than the full storyline thing because War of Honor... I mean, now, multiplayer constructed. Yeah. <laughs> you've got to run a different deck. You can't yeah. run the same deck for War of Honor that you're running for... Yeah. For thing, that's that's going to be interesting to see how much time know, people I'll, have to. I'll make play a my alignment deck as long as I have uh, one with the world. I'll be good. Yeah, I'm trying to remember 
if we know what so, the what we knew about the Phoenix tokens or the Phoenix well, so stuff. I, I think it was the Phoenix. Well, see, the thing is though that the Phoenix, I think the Phoenix tiles were for an honor deck. Doesn't matter if I understand how this works correctly. <laughs> as soon as I get Ring of Air and uh, One with the World, I win in like three turns. Why? Because I play Ring of Air on my turn. I put it back in my hand. Play Ring of Air on no, somebody else's no, turn. No, you, the, no, no, because you can only play each ring once and have oh. it count. So you have you have to actually play. You don't have to keep all five rings in play. You can bounce well, you it have back to hand. Play all five. Yes, but you have oh, to play okay. all five. You can't just put the same ring into play five times in a row. You're playing okay, so destroyed. My <laughs> evil plot. Oh well. Yes, your evil the, plot. The difference is between destroyed. previews and actual rules. Either that's somewhere in the Imperial Herald, or someone mentioned that in the forum thread about War of Honor is that it only looks for each unique ring once, but. That is Damn interesting, it, I though. wanted to do Feta again. It was so much fun the first time. No. But the War of Honor tiles do constrain you. I mean, like I said, if I recall correctly, the, the Scorpion tiles... I don't have to call it right here. The Scorpion <laughs> tiles The Scorpion tiles are a Dishonor deck. If I recall correctly, the Phoenix tiles are an Honor deck. The Dragon tiles are an Enlightenment deck. So... I mean, that really does pigeonhole you to some extent. I mean, you... You may have a very hard time playing City of Tears military out of the War of Honor. I don't recall for sure, but there's there's definitely some pigeonholing of the archetypes with the tile sets that they have. For example, if you want to play Honor out of a clan that isn't set up to be Honor, I mean, the Crane have a tile that says, open, gain two Honor. The Scorpion have a tile that says, open, somebody loses two Honor. And you have to hit 8 honor loss cause or 8 honor gain in a turn to advance yourself along the path to victory and if stuff is balanced for those clans to be able to do it when they have automatic built-in right. free Dilly choose every turn six. Yeah. good luck with trying to get 8 consistently turn after turn with your other deck that doesn't have that tile availability, that, that yeah. tile ability. but there is that, there's the usual grinders at Gen Con on Thursday and Friday there's an Invitational on Thursday, which I'm guessing is the storyline event, again, for Thursday. There's a Second Chance. As usual, the Second Chance event is basically a variant of the best Kote prize that there was this year, which is somebody from your clan becomes a fortune. It has to be somebody who died during Celestial Arc. I don't know if they're going to read that a little bit loosely and include people who died during the War of Dark Fire, which CCG-wise was Samurai Arc, but really is more part of the storyline of Celestial Arc. Because otherwise you got, like, a guy or two. Some, some, clans, some. some clans have very few guys, or the guys that they have are people who just showed up once to die, which is fine as far as a fiction goes, but does not make... Doesn't for make for part, a good fortune. You yeah. want a fortune of red-shirtedness? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, well, I, I plan to win the event and just insist emphatically that Agasha Katsuki only just now died during Celestial Edition, and that until they spread the Katsuki method, my testimony on that subject overrides any evidence to the contrary. <laughs> uh, Therefore, sadly, making him eligible. Sadly, I think Sean Sean's testimony outranks him, yes. In addition to all these side events that we're talking about, there is the Gen Con main event, duh. The prize for that is to become the best samurai of all. The one who, the emperor who has the empress's ear, 
and who is consulted and valued above and all Brooklyn others. Barney Stimson of Brooklyn Does it have to be a family? It doesn't have the actual text of the prize. Remember, your Shugenja are still samurai, if that's what you're worried about. And hopefully, that means it doesn't include, you know, undead or <laughs> goblins. I choose okay. zombie panic. You know what's going to happen. What about comedians? It's going to be Gatogu. I'm just going to pretend like that's not possible. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're going to see a specifically goblin deck win again. Uh, I just really do not want Fields of the Dead to win a third Gen Con in a row. That's silly. If you're an RPG fan, they have a preview of the Cooney Witch Hunter School from the upcoming Great Clans RPG book. And of course, because it's an Imperial Herald, that means that there are promo cards. Both of the promos are Fudo cards. You've got a Fudo cultist who is a follower who attaches for free onto Fudo. Yeah. And then you've got a monk who... Does the Fudo cultist do anything besides attaching free onto Fudo? He has plus one force for each other Fudo cards you control. If he's on Fudo himself, then he's three force. Otherwise, he's just a two force for three. And there's Huyobuko, is a monk Shugenja, who's also a Fudo card, who discards himself to go search for the Heart of Fudo, or you can attach the Heart of Fudo to him for free, and if I recall correctly, the Heart of Fudo is the one that blows up to form Voltron? It doesn't blow up, it blows everything else up. You get to hold on to the Heart. Okay. Fudo last one in time for the end of the arc? Uh Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so if anybody wants to play their cute Fudo deck, you have all the pieces for that now? We have all the various you body parts of Fudo, right? Summon Cody. I like Voltron better as a reference. But, but no, Voltron is a Kuyasha Chie with the sword and Kuro's five. Sorry, it's already claimed. Already used. Yep. They aren't in the Imperial Herald, but while we're talking about promos, we've got the most recent event kit promos, which you have... The participation promo is Wormbone Katana. It's ridiculous, so... Go participate. If, yes, go play in the tur- play in local tournaments. If your I'm store doesn't... I'm skipping out, and I'm going to have to attend, because I just saw Wormbone Katana. If your store and, doesn't and, and run them, go like, run them. <laughs> yeah, it's plus four, plus one, weapon for eight, four focus value, battle, kill... An enemy card with lower force and no attachments. Lower force than the, your personality, which is at least eight. Yeah. Because you've got a four force weapon on him. And then battle, move back into the battlefield. Neither of those abilities bows the guy or bows the card. And four focus, just in case it mattered. What's not amazing about this? If you put it on a three force guy, he doesn't take profits? No, no, no. It costs eight of my gold. It could be free. It could be Rising Sunblade. <laughs> it's better than Rising Sunblade. Yeah. It is. I mean, the the one downside it has over Rising Sunblade is that, obviously, it's just got less force, so there are combinations of guy plus opposing province strength that just a 4-force weapon isn't... Yeah, if your opponent is crab and has an 8, your guy's 4-force, more Mugatana, you're still not a crack in the province. I mean, force does matter, but I think the abilities are better than really Rising Sunblade. Really? It doesn't bow itself, so it, it doesn't fight with other Kensei stuff for... <clears throat> The precious, precious Kensei. Oh, and the other person, <laughs> the other tournament winner, successful, whatever they call it, promo, is a Ronin Kensei. A 4-3 for 5, so the, effectively the same as all the 4-3 for 7 in clan guys. 
and that'll destroy an attachment. Uh, it's a duelist can't save well. Masatane. Not bad. That seems fine, especially it's double bug. All all of these are dual bug. Get your worm Although it, yeah, so get your yeah. worm bone katanas. It probably doesn't matter for the Fudo cards because I seriously doubt they're gonna reprint all of the Fudo, <laughs> Fudo stuff Voltron, yeah. for Emperor Edition. But Masatane, you know, when you get to the start of an arc, you often don't have guys in plan to round out your entire lineup. And Masatane is nothing amazing, but it's not actually appropriately statted and costed and stuff, so you, you might be able to slot that in as... So if there's some duelist or Kensai deck of some kind, he seems pretty reasonable early in the arc. Yes. Oh, and Masatane says that the Kikita studied the Kikita, the Miramoto studied the Miramoto. I study both and will best them all, so we'll see if he can actually uh, follow through on that. One and a half sword style. <laughs> no, no, that's the three sword style. That's what oh, okay. bests them all. That's what the joke says Ogijin were on to. Yeah. Oh. Three sword. Yes. Three. What, what's better than one sword or two swords? Three. You know what's better than that? Four. I'm sorry, the correct answer is consume bop <laughs> <laughs> Uh, is there anything that consumed by five fires? Is it the answer to? No. No, no, no. no. There, there, well, no. Be a breeder is one thing. What I was going to say, there is one thing consumed by five fires is not an answer to, which is my opponent has province strength. True. So, yeah, but that's okay. I, I don't think anybody's crying for the fact that consumed by five fires doesn't have a force <laughs> bonus no. on it. Okay, so that's our random stuff about L5R segments. And guess what? There's still one more really short L5R-related segment. Oh my god, what's going on here? Time to play Over Under here on Strange Assembly, the game where I pick a topic and a number, and... The rest of the cast has to say whether or not they think the reality will be over or under the number that I picked, just for those of you who have never, ever gambled in your entire life. Okay, first topic. Number of cards that get banned or ratted out of Breeder. Over or under 0.5. So all, anything or nothing, basically. Over. I'm going to go with under. I, I, I don't think they're going to do anything about it. I'm going with under, but I'm curious what your over is. What cards? I don't have anything specific in mind. I think they're going to do I something. I think they're going to do something. I think it's too late. I think the, the problem is too systemic to treat. Chop off the arm. I think go terminal. I think it's going to be under. I think that the design team is going to find it to be not egregious enough to go after, especially given that by the time the nerfing went into effect, it would almost be time for a new set to come out. So I will go under. Number of Scorpion Clan boards there will be in three months. <laughs> 3.5. There's there's like two or three right now. I'm not sure. But in, in three months, will there be over or under three and a half Scorpion boards? It depends. Public Scorpion boards will be under. <laughs> actual Scorpion boards will be over. The actual Scorpion boards that the secret Scorpion boards are probably over that already. Right. But public Scorpion boards, I'm going to say under. Yeah, I'm thinking I'm going to go with under two because I think I'm putting the number three. I okay. know there's two. 
Oh, nobody's going to go and run with the humor, yes. Uh, well, <laughs> run the, with scorpion, the, the Scorpion Clan is, in fact, uh, currently tearing itself into a tizzy about where people should hang out, either the board that was there first or the board that's run by the popular guy. Or strangeassembly.com slash forum. Yes. Does that, that count as a Scorpion Clan board? Then I'm going over. I'm going over <laughs> if it is. Okay. So far this Kote season, in 33 or so Kote, the Spider have 10 wins. There are 58, I think, total Kote in the season. Over, under... 17.5 Spider-Clan wins for the entirety of Kote season. Over. Yeah, I'm going to have to go with over on that. That deck is a beast. I'll go the other way and say under, just because I think that now that it's kind of come to the forefront how ridiculous Breeder is, people are just going to super aggressively start over-metting. And then, it'll and then lose win. to other things, and then those claims will win. I'm going to go with under, not because I think that anyone's going to effectively meta against Breeder, because that's one of the problems. It's extremely mm-hmm. difficult, if possible at all, to effectively meta against Breeder, but just because that's the sort of thing that happens in life, now that I've said that it's a problem and needs to be nerfed, <laughs> that's it's going to slow down. But of course now, by pointing out that you've pointed that out, it'll go back up to above. So by, by me pointing that out, it'll go back down below. So by, by logic, I should trade the box in front of me. Right. Exactly. Okay. Similar question. So far, out of the same 33 Kote, Phoenix have won two Kote, Unicorn have won one Kote, and Dragon have won zero Kote. In the entirety of Kote, for the rest of Kote season, how many wins will those three clans together get? Over or under 2.5 Kote wins? Over. I'm going to say over. I think Phoenix can pull out two more wins. I think it's over because I don't think Dragon is so bad they're going to win zero. I think they're that going to win That sounds like a challenge. Yeah, I know. It does seem unlikely for a clan to go the entirety of Kote season without picking up a single win. So I suppose I'll go with over. Even though I'm not really sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, last question. Percent of Scorpion Clan player base that wants to string Kevin up by his toe, toes. Over or under 99.5%? Uh, over 103%. Say under, because I don't actually hate all of those guys. I'm friends with some of them. Yeah, but are they friends with you? I say under because I think they want to string him up by worse than his toes, most of them. I say over. Didn't we just have a discussion about how they're trying to kill each other about what board to hang out on? Trust me, they want the string up, Kevin. That's it for Over Under for this episode of Strange Assembly. This is the Strange Assembly News Desk for May 6th, 2011. AEG has announced the Stone of Remembrance promo card. This is a charity promo card in the vein of Make-A-Wish. Individual copies of the card are $5 with proceeds to go to the Red Cross, but you have to rip it up every time you use it. Those will ship September 1st. Strange Assembly will hopefully be doing interviews with the story team and design team again this year at Gen Con. 
I know that's three months away, but if any of our listeners would like to email me at chris at strangeassembly.com with suggested questions, I will consider those. No question too broad, no question too narrow. Although, yes, Virginia, there is such a thing as a stupid question, so I probably won't ask those. I hope. I'd also like to thank those of our listeners who have kicked in a little bit to help fund Strange Assembly's purchase of some new recording equipment. There have been three recent fictions, The Destroyer Wars Parts 7, 8, and 9. Sean Carmen's pen was applied to all of them, and Nancy Sowers as well to Part 8. Parts 7 and 8 were published on April 23rd, and Part 9 was published on May 2nd. In recent tournament news, the Moscow Cote was won by Anton Tamarov, playing Lion, who chose the champion of Chugo. The side event was won by Alexei Dobrynin of the Phoenix, who chose Shiva Danjuro. The Irvin Cote was won by Roy Esquivel of the Crab, choosing Hida Ikerakanai. The side event was won by Art Tebel of the Spider, choosing Chudoruri. The Budapest Cote was won by Kostas Adamopoulos, playing Crab, choosing to defend with Yasuki Atsuka. The side event was won by Michael Lefav of the Mantis, choosing Saruchi Atsui. The Lilo Cote was won by Loki, playing Spider, and choosing Daigatsu Arama. The side event there was won by Dominique Gerbal of the Crane, who chose Kakita Hideshi. The Armley Kote was won by Justin Lee of the Scorpion, who chose Shishiro Ororu to defend the province. The side event was won by Adam Fry of the Crane, who chose Daidoji Kakazi. The Selengor Kote was won by Jason Lee, playing Spider, who chose the Empire's Greatest Musician. The side event was won by Maud Sufian of the Phoenix, who chose Agasha Kamaru. The Louisville Cote was won by Trevor Valentine, playing Lion, who chose the Blood White Stone. The side event at Louisville was won by Giovanni Avilas of the Crane, who chose Doji Yasuyo. That's it for the news today. Up next, the Strange Assembly review of Thunderstone Doomgate Legion. I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is a Strange Assembly review of Thunderstone Doomgate Legion. With me here today are Jay Earl. Doom! Kevin Kennedy. Doom! And Justin Ferdy. Hi. Thank you, Justin. Doomgate Legion is the second expansion for the Thunderstone game. Thunderstone was created by Mike Elliott with illustrations by Jason Engel. It is produced and distributed by Alderac Entertainment Group, AEG. It goes for 35 bucks, I think, for the expansion. To make any use out of Doomgate Legion, you have to already own Thunderstone, but to briefly go over the concept, it is a deck-building game. You start out, like most deck-building games, with a personal deck full of basic cards. There are cards in the middle that you can buy and add to your deck. In Thunderstone, these are fantasy 
themed cards, fighters, and spells, and weapons. And the purpose of the deck, once you have it built up a little bit, is to go into the dungeon, kill monsters, and get victory points. Doomgate Legion adds, I think, five new different kinds of monsters, five new different heroes, or was it seven? Seven new different heroes, and a good splatter of new village cards. So, what were your impressions of the expansion, Jay? Uh, I enjoyed it. I, when I sort of felt like because one of the games we played had two of the disease-granting monsters, it became a fairly slow game because everybody quickly got diseases and then spent turns resting to get rid of them. But if, we, if we'd only had one of those, it would have been fine. It was <laughs> yeah. having both in one game. But I thought it was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Thunderstone, I think at least, definitely can vary a lot from game to game if you're using the standard random sort of way of assembling a deck, depending on what kind of monsters and what kind of village cards you have. We ended up with two disease-creating monsters because one of the themes of this, that are one of the, maybe not themes, but one of the new little twists on the mechanics in this expansion is that the disease deck, which in the base game and the prior expansion was all just minus one attack when you're trying to go into the dungeon, adds these new special diseases. And so two of now, the five now you can get leprosy. Yes, leprosy, thunder's curse, things that make it harder to buy cards in the village, things that give you minus two. Uh, things that make negative your victory weaker, points. weaker. Yeah, and, and like Justin said, yeah, things that make you lose victory points. We also had another game where two of the kinds of monsters are immune to magic attack, which... The poor, poor wizard. <laughs> drastically yeah. affects what you want but to unfortunately, buy. Unfortunately, the type of monsters you get sometimes makes some of the cards that you see useful. I tend to like that it varies the play up. On the other hand, it does occasionally produce oddball situations, so I think even if you use the randomizers in Thunderstone, it's sometimes good to just kind of give a little look over, and especially the monsters is the big thing. If you end up with three kinds of monsters that are all immune to the same thing or are all really super hard, it can drastically change how the game plays. Now, Justin, this was the first time you'd ever played Thunderstone, so what did you think about it? I enjoyed it. It is a good mechanic, I think, that you have two different sections you want to go to. You have a village where you can buy things, and you've got the dungeon, which is where all the real work is doing, and you have to figure out when it's a good time to jump from just buying things to starting to mess around in the dungeon, and in my second game, that ended up getting me hosed pretty badly because I didn't put enough money in my deck. I decided, I'm going to buy all these cyclones, and I'm just going to march right into the dungeon as soon as I can and start destroying things. And then as soon as the first little weak swarms were out of the way, it's like, oh, I can't even come close to killing anything. Now it's time to buy money. But for the most part, it's I, really, I had a really good time. Definitely enjoyed it. I like Thunderstone a lot. One of the good things about it from a deck-building game point of view is if they have that resting mechanic, which means that if you do make mistakes and you put a bunch of crap in your deck, you can get rid of it. Or you get really sick. Right. Particularly as regarding regarding this expansion, I really do like the uh, special diseases that have a little bit more flavor to diseases and make them more interesting. 
and the diseases are not something that you just randomly inflicted with. You, you know going into the dungeon if you're going to fight something that's going to give you a disease, asking for it. Or someone else gets the, one yeah, or, or someone else everyone. is creeping dooming you from yeah. the uh, Wrath of the Elements expansion. Right. Or someone has the cleric that says, you get the disease instead of them. I thought it was a very interesting strategic point in the deck. There were these treasures that they added to the dungeon that I, I don't know how I feel about. I'm kind of ambivalent on them. On the one hand, they're kind of a win-more type scenario, because you kill a, 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 a monster, the treasure shows up, you get the treasure and you get a benefit from it. I don't know if that's specific to this expansion or not. Uh, Chris? The treasures are one of the new things with Doomgate Legion. The traps, which we didn't play within any of our games of Doomgate Legion, the traps were introduced in Wrath of the Elements, but the treasure cards were not introduced until Doomgate Legion. But, on the other hand, it's kind of fun to get a treasure after you beat a monster. So, that's really something that you can make a call on the Rubio. Happens the treasure cards. Individually, I thought a lot of the, the new cards are really good. I thought the Spirit Blast spell was pretty interesting. There are a couple cards that were kind of lacking there's this one thief wizard character who is, to be perfectly honest, really kind of subpar. Until you get him up to third level, and then he's quite nice. And but then, and then by that time, you've lost By that time, you yeah. On the other hand, I feel like the fighter thief minstrel guy is ridiculously strong. Yeah, that guy is really good. Yeah. At least his level one version. Yeah. <laughs> his level two version is not as good. That depends on what you were you were have you in that game had a deck full of cyclones, so you had a lot of spells, so he wasn't affecting you. But when Jay started buying the Verdian bars, I didn't have any spells in my deck. So whenever he came up, he would still make me discard cards. And unlike the level one minstrel, he stacks. Mm-hmm. You can bring out multiples of him. Uh-huh. Right. But on the other hand, he's Choice I, instead of random. Or the level one is random. Yeah. So. But the other. So the best is first the random level one, then the level two to really. The different heroes. You get another archer, you get another cleric, you have more cross class guys. In the monsters, you get cultist humanoids, you get another kind of undead, the storm rates, you get more abyssal demon guys. They're Thunderspawn. I don't know if really thematically there was much of a connection between those. Mm-hmm. It didn't have quite as strong a flavor as as much as they were frustrating occasionally to play with, depending on what you pulled up. The Golems back in yeah. Wrath of the Elements were very strong thematically. Justin mentioned the Swarm earlier. The Swarm works like the Horde does from the Wrath of the Elements expansion, where it you get the small one first, and then the big, and then the next bigger one, and then the next bigger one. Yeah. And I think that that's nice to have in. Yeah. I know some people play variants of Thunderstone where you kind of stack the monsters in order, basically, so you get the weaker monsters first. And I don't know that I'd want to play Thunderstone like that because it reduces some of the variability out of it that I find interesting. But it is nice sometimes to have just one of the three monsters kind of more steadily progress, so there's at least a little 
a greater chance of a few weaker ones to pick off yeah, that, that, early that's on. Yeah, that's a good thing. Being able to, to have at least some monsters you can immediately kind of pursue. Yeah, and the swarm is one of the two disease-giving monster types. The other one is evil druids. One thing that I noticed is a lot of spells of the, of the spells in this particular... Oh, actually, a lot of the cards in this particular set seem to get better as the game progresses. Uh, there's a, a card called a Greed Blade, which gives you plus one each world revealed, and by the you know, time you end the game, the cards that you have in your hand tend to be more... tend to provide more gold. They tend to be more expensive. And, like, the, the, the soul jar goes, kind of goes, scales with you because you're, you're defeating more higher monsters and basically it's an item that lets you use a monster from your hand to do damage. Yeah. Well, and I think that the soul jar and then the cyclone both give you a reason to do particular classes again. Right. One mm -hmm. of the things that varies can be what the combinations of items of village cards are and heroes and, you know, the old one that we had for fire expansions was just, oh, you have an archer, and then you have the bow that gets better when you have the archer. Well, there weren't, I think, as many village cards in prior sets that really cared that you were a cleric or a wizard. So here you get Cyclone, which is a spell that it actually matters if you have a cleric or a wizard in your fight. The Souljar is a weapon that it actually matters if you have a cleric or a wizard. You can't you get that bonus for having Wizard Cleric, just like with the bow, you might get the bonus for having an archer. Yeah, and the other side of that is that they're both still kind of worth buying, even if you don't necessarily have a cleric or wizard, because they're relatively cheap weapons, opposed to, like, you know, the Blessed Hammer, which costs eight. No, I think not as much as with Wrath of the Elements, but this is definitely an expansion, and there are certain basic items that you would be lacking if you were just playing Doomgate Legion. There's nothing that gives you a global strength buff to your party. There isn't much in the way of just a basic, here's a sword that gives you plus two or three attack for cheap that you could put in your deck. But it does, I think, bring a good amount to the Thunderstone game. I think I like Doomgate Legion better than I liked Wrath of the Elements. I don't know if anybody other than Jay has actually played with Wrath of the Elements. What did you think about Doomgate Legion versus Wrath of the Elements? I don't explicitly recall Wrath of the Elements well enough to really <laughs> compare them. Another new thing I don't think we've mentioned yet is the mercenaries. One of the weaknesses of the villager cards that you had was that they didn't do anything when you went into the dungeon from the prior expansions. And I know that when I was looking down, I really, I often really didn't like to buy them, or you had to look for the ones that had an ability where they blew themselves up yes. to do something because you didn't want them clogging your deck. Whereas Doomgate Legion introduces mercenaries, which are villagers that actually do something when you go into the dungeon or and, and have card cycle. And so you can... They have these villager cards that don't have to blow themselves up to be viable. We just wish they made some gold. The fact that none of them make gold means... Well, they, they are mercenaries. True. At least three of the five cycle you through, either flat-out draw you cards or True. cycle you through cards. So you do have that uncertainty 
do I go into the dungeon and see what happens, see whether or not I draw into something right? I think people seem reluctant to do that. For more often, people go into the village are like, well, I have six gold, let's see if I can get up to eight to right. buy whatever the hero was that I wanted. All right, was there anything else you guys wanted to add about the game? Or about the expansion? I think the expansion's good. Um, I, I see a lot of, of good contributions to the game. Not having played anything before this expansion, I can just say that I enjoyed the game. Definitely had a good time. Okay, that's Thunderstone Doomgate Legion, published by AEG. It is an expansion for Thunderstone. It's not a standalone. You can use it with the core Thunderstone box or with the next expansion, which is already out, called Dragonspire, which is also standalone. We haven't gotten to play that yet. I'm sure we will one of these days. Apparently Jay got his wish and you all haven't been that nice because I do not have a review of Emerald Empire 2 for you yet. It turns out that it's quite a lengthy tome and I don't have time to both read it and edit the podcast this week. I've been so occupied that I haven't looked at so much as the first page of the most recent issue of The Economist. So... Hopefully you'll be getting that audio review in the near future, along with a written review on strangeassembly.com. That's it for the 25th episode of Strange Assembly. You can check us out on our website at strangeassembly.com where you can subscribe to our podcast. You can also subscribe to our podcast through iTunes. Just search for Strange Assembly. Next time, we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty of the Before the Dawn expansion. Until then, for Jay Earl, Kevin Kennedy, and Justin Purdy, I'm Chris Stevenson. We'll keep the light on for you. I'm gonna sing the doom song. Doomy doom 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 doom.